Ladies, uh, gosh, so funny that as I'm preparing this week to talk about how to live without stress, I began to get stressed out about teaching about stress. So like I said last week, I am a walking, talking person in the process of learning what that looks like. And I, well, we should probably pray. Is that a good idea? Let's go ahead and pray. All right. Father God, we don't want to be full of stress and unrest because you have provided something far better for us. When you said abundant life, hmm, that doesn't include being stressed out, full of anxieties and fears. Uh-uh. I thank you, Jesus, that you already paid the price and there is hope, there is truth that truly sets us free in this area. And I'm going to pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit that you spotlight Maybe some areas that we don't realize that have become heavy, that feel like burdens, that perhaps we've lost some hope about, or that we just worry, but it's become such a natural part of our lives that we may not even recognize that we have not yet released that and received your peace and your strength and your hope and your wisdom in the place of that. And so, Father, thank you that by your Holy Spirit, we are growing, we are moving on, we are learning as we go how you do this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to start as a way of review with Matthew 11. Daniel, if you could put that up there for us. We ended our last week's um, time together with this Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 in the message, which is, this is kind of a hoot. Um, I just love sometimes just bringing it down to real stuff, right? This is where the rubber meets the road when we, we read, are you tired? Anybody tired? <laughs> Worn out, burned out on religion, not a denomination, but the religion we're speaking of here is are using our own efforts to think that we can do anything for God that he has really already done for us or favor has been given to us. And that's exhausting when you think you have to keep performing for God. He doesn't require our performance. He just wants our hearts. But sometimes we get a little bit burned out. And it says, this is, this is the remedy. There is something we can do if you said yes to any of those. He says, come to me. Who's our source? Let's come. Let's come. Jesus is saying this. Come to me. Sometimes we go to lots of other places to think that that's going to restore us. And I've said this over and over, and I'll say it again. There is no real rest without Jesus. If Jesus isn't in it, you will not be fully refreshed to the core of who you are. You know, you might feel a little better for a while. Vacations are awesome. You get me on a beach and I feel refreshed. But, you know, when it's done, we get back to real life. So how are we going to continue to deal with life? And it says, he says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I love that. I love that. I'm going to recover my life when I come and get away with him. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. And we talked about the three W's there. Walk every day. You know that rest doesn't mean doing nothing and taking a nap. That's not what we're talking about here. 
We have lots of things in our lives that we need to be doing. They're important. We have responsibilities. So it's not about not doing. It's about how we're doing it. So walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Walk, work, watch. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love the word unforced. Sometimes I feel like I'm going 100 miles an hour all day long, and it's like I'm forcing my life to move at a certain pace. And you know what? When you read in the Gospels, Jesus was never in a hurry. And I, and, and I can't imagine how Jairus, Jairus, however you want to say it, felt when he came to Jesus and said, come quickly, come quickly, my daughter is on her deathbed. My daughter is dying. But if you'll come, I know that she'll be healed. And so what happens? Everything like obstacles get thrown into Jesus' path and the, the crowd throngs him. He can hardly move because the people are trying, they're pressing in on him and he's trying to get to Jairus's daughter before she dies. At least that's what um, Jair, Jair, I better decide how I'm going to say it. So let's just say Jairus, okay? He said, if you come quickly, my daughter won't die. Well, so Jesus says, I'll come. But now a woman touches him, and he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, what do you mean, who touched me? Everybody's touching you. He says, no, 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 power came out of me. This woman in faith who, who I believe she probably was crawling through the crowd. She touched the hem of his garment and she was instantly healed from an issue of blood that she had carried, if I remember right, 12 years. And she was instantly healed. So now he has his encounter with this woman. And can you imagine Jairus saying, hurry up. Time is ticking away. Was Jesus in a hurry? <laughs> he wasn't. He might have said, oh my goodness, what is going to happen? And then while they're still there, the, the um, people come and tell Jairus, your daughter is dead. It's too late. Don't bother Jesus anymore. But see, you know what? Jesus knew the end from the beginning. And he knew that it wasn't going to be too late. And he took time to minister to another woman who... Who was her life was transformed that day. She was completely and totally healed. So I think, God, how can I go through my day and not be in such a hurry and not always be pressing the gas pedal? Guess what happened this past week? <laughs> I got into a fender bender. <laughs> and I maybe it was pride. I don't know. I just said, you know, I've had this car for four years, and I don't even have a scratch or a dent. Well, that changed last hmm, Thursday. Thursday, oh, my goodness, after I left here. So I, I was making a right-hand turn on a red light, and there were three of us. And so I'm watching the traffic from my left. Well, the first person goes. Next person, we all move up. Second person goes, so I'm moving up. But I didn't look back this way, and when I turned, and I wasn't going very fast, the, all the cars had stopped right in front of me. And I'm assuming we're moving, right? I mean, but no. I, I rear-ended, cracked my bumper like you wouldn't believe. It's like, didn't take much. But you know what? I was a little bit in a hurry. How can I slow my pace Learn to live, oh, that's okay, the unforced rhythm of grace. Can you put that back up there? I forgot we haven't finished that scripture yet. Because the rest of it just says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. And that, I think, is a good indication of whether we're being stressed out or not. When things start to feel heavy 
or ill-fitting is like putting your shoes on the wrong feet. That would feel uncomfortable, wouldn't it? It wouldn't fit. And that's what I started to realize this week, that I was feeling this heaviness. I was like, okay, red flag, alert. I'm not walking with him and working with him and watching how he do, does it and walking in the unforced rhythms of grace. So now I know what to do. I'm going to come to him, and we're going to take care of that. He says, keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Your shoulders were not designed to bear heavy burdens, but his are. And so that's why last week we talked a lot about releasing and letting go. And we did a red balloon. <laughs> that just came to me when we were closing last week. So um, we did talk about that there's even a difference clinically maybe between anxiety and stress. And apparently stress is caused by an existing stress-causing factor. And clinically it's called a stressor. And anxiety is stress that continues after the stressor is gone. You're still having this feeling of anxiousness, apprehension, or fear. And it almost is always accompanied by dread. Feelings of impending doom is what that says. And sometimes we don't even know or recognize the source of this. And it, then, it, then we get stressed out about that. So it's like a vicious cycle. And it's, uh, you know, and we also said there's no condemnation for our emotions. There's no condemnation for even feeling pain in your body. And I was talking with um, uh, Karen, actually, Heisman, and she said that she's been going through this um, eating that has cleared up pain in her body. And she said, I didn't even realize that the pain was gone. She had been suffering from some arthritic pain, and she changed her diet, and she's been doing some things that um, uh, very holistically that seemed to have helped. She goes, and I suddenly realized I wasn't in pain anymore. But pain's an indicator. Stress is an indicator. Heaviness is an indicator that there's some area that we're needing God to intervene, to invite him into that, because you are not designed for stress. We're not designed to feel like we're always running 100 miles an hour and never catching up. So we're going to go through some of these, maybe even some practical things that we can do today. Um, recently, my husband and I, um, we live in a 100-plus-year-old house. And I don't know if it's the original well, but we still have well water. We're like one of the few people on our street that didn't have to hook up to the city water. And we love it. It happens to be really good well water. But we think it's a pretty old well. And uh, recently, we were just trying to go about our everyday business and turn the faucet on, and there was no water. Nothing came out. And my husband, he's so handy. He knows what to check and where to check. And he went, it's very possible that our well just ran dry. Not sure, but we ended up calling a well guy. We have a well guy. And um, he came, and he had to go down, 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 deep into the thing. And, he's, and he says, okay, he says, this is a puzzle. He said, um, there's plenty of water down there, so we need to figure out why it's not getting into your house, why it's not actually being um, pumped into your home. And it wasn't the pump. It wasn't all the obvious things. And my husband, 
I believe it was the Spirit of God, said, while you're down there, would you mind just changing this valve over? I don't know how he knows all this stuff. He just does. And he says, because I, I noticed that one time when I was down there, it's an old valve, blah, blah, blah. So the guy, sure, he says, it's really not necessary, but I'll do it if you want me to. It was like a $7 part. Well, the first quote we got, he says, if your wells run dry, it's going to be $7,000. And then I can dig you a new well for $7,000. I went, great. Okay, that wasn't the news we wanted to hear. So now he says, there's water. But he said, my, hus my husband asked him to change that valve. And so he went down there. He says, sure. It was like a $7 part. When he went down there and just happened to change this particular valve, what had happened is that valve had squeezed shut. And it was one little part of a whole system with the water that was ready to be pumped into our home, but it was being constricted by this one little faulty valve. And had my husband not asked him to do that, I'm not sure we would have discovered the real problem. We might have spent a lot of other money trying to say, does this work? Does this work? Does this work? And so, because the guy says, I've never seen this before. I would not have thought to check that one thing. But you know, last week we talked about how the blessings of God, there is no shortage of his provision into every area of our life. But the picture was that there's a constriction in the area where there's worry. It doesn't mean that God's supply isn't there. There's plenty of supply and it never stops. But by worrying, we, it's like we, we squeeze that area of our lives and grace cannot flow. God's provision is stopped. So there is no shortage of God's blessing. But if there's a shortage in our life, is there an area that we're constricting the flow of God's provision? And the devil wants to keep you in a place of questioning and, and fear and worry because then he knows the constriction will stay. So when we worry, what we're really saying is this, I've got this. But when we let go of worry and release it for God to God, we say, God, you've got this. So instead of the worry that I've got this, we're going to say, God, you've got this. So there's the three lets. We, last week we said, let not, let go, let God. Can you say that with me? Say, let not, let go, let God. Because in John 14... Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. And that is something that we need to realize. We have the ability to let not. I have walked through in my own personal testimony um, uh, dealing with a spirit of fear. And for years, I didn't know that I could let not. I didn't know that I had the ability to say no when the spirit of fear was telling me lies. And the first thing that I realized, it was like an awakening, is that, wait a minute, I can resist this. But I felt so powerless. I had gone to a place of powerlessness where I just thought, well, this is just the way I am. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Those thoughts and that thing that triggered a, a bone-chilling, heart-gripping kind of fear was coming from a spirit of fear. And I just let it speak to me. And I listened, and I latched onto it, and I felt like a dumb fish with that bait hanging in front of me, and I, every single dime. 
And when I did that, when I, when I allowed that thing to, to stay in my, in my mind, it got down in my heart, and it was like um, the devil was setting the hook and reeling me in. And it happened time after time after time. And then there was a revelation that came. Oh, I can resist this. I can let not my heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Um, that's on me. God is not going to do that for you. God already whooped the devil. And the problem is he doesn't want you to know that. And so the only weapons he has left are lies and deception. Deception's tricky because when you are deceived, you think it's the truth, but it's really a lie. And the lie that I was believing is that I had no power over these thoughts that were controlling me. And they were triggers to, um, to promoting a spirit of fear to the, to the point where there came a day when I said to myself, I heard myself say this, I'm just, it would just be better if I just gather my kids, lock the door, and stay in my home. At least I know we'll be safe. And I went, oh, what did I just say? I literally was heading down that road because I had not resisted. I had not resisted. And what did the devil say? <laughs> Let's go back. What does the word say about the devil that when we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee? Submit, resist, he's got to go. He's, he has no choice. Because now you're no longer ignorant of his devices as you caught his hand in the cookie jar. And you say, ah. No, uh-uh, that's not going to happen here. And I began to resist those things and say, no, I'm not going to allow you to control what is going on in my mind. And, and like it says in the word to you, take that thought captive. You say, uh-uh, I'm, I'm not listening to you. And then you replace it with the truth of the word of God. I know my God is for me. And if my God is for me, who can be against me? My God keeps me safe. I will not even stumble because I've got angels surrounding me. My God is with me wherever I go. When I lie down, my sleep is sweet because I know my God is my protector. He's my defender. And there are no... There are no amount of bars on the window or guns in my home that can protect me better than my God who loves me so perfectly that it cast out that fear. So the resisting part, let not, let it go and let God. And I'm just going to say it again. Ladies, we are just too blessed to be stressed. Too blessed to be stressed. And our, our worrying is hindering our receiving. So think about this, because we're going to probably use this as one of, the, of our discussion questions in about 15, 20 minutes here. What is the reoccurring theme in your life? What is the reoccurring theme in your life? Maybe another way of thinking about that is what kind of legacy are you leaving? What are you known for how you operate and function in your life? A person looking at you from the outside looking and observing, what would they say is the reoccurring theme in your life? All right, just be thinking about that. Because my reoccurring theme at the time of the fear was I was a very fearful person. It was my default setting. And what I asked God to do in the kind of the same way I prayed before we began today is that alert us. I said, Holy Spirit, alert me when I'm doing that thing again, where I'm reacting 
in a habitual way of thinking and allowing that default setting to control me and help me to say, no, stop. I'm not doing that anymore. I have a new response. And it's, it's because I'm washing my word, I'm washing my, my thoughts with the word of God. Give me new thoughts. Give me a new default setting. And I will just say this. The, the thing that happened over and over again for me is that it, it was like my mind was hijacked. My imagination was, I felt like I was forced to watch this hideous, gruesome scene that always involved my children being hurt in some horrific way. And, and I, it, just, it just overpowered me. I allowed it, okay, to overpower me. I began to resist it. I began to speak to it and say, no, my God has my children in the, in the palm of his hand. And devil, you can't have them. My, my kids are protected. They're covered in the blood of Jesus. You can't even see them. Ha! Because they're covered in the blood of Jesus. You can't have them. And... What, you know what that really is? You're taking your stand and your authority and picking up your sword, and you let the devil know. You speak to him in the face of that fear. I'm not going with you. I'm not listening to you. You are a lie. Ooh, come on now, girls. All right. So I don't even know why I went there again. Okay, let me think. Da, 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 da. Okay. I'm sorry. I lost it. We'll get there. All right. Um, Legacy, thank you, because one of the things, oh, thank you, you're, you're right on point. One of the things I realized, and that was really a turning point for me, is that I felt like, what kind of legacy do I want to leave for my children? And at that time, it was a legacy of fear. And you will transfer that spirit of fear to your kids, because more is caught than is taught, isn't it? Yeah, and I actually had to work through, especially with one of our kids, that I did not know how much that fear was controlling him. So um, I wanted a new legacy. I wanted, if, it's, if you, somebody was writing your tombstone, what would it say? <laughs> and I've got a few ideas of my own on that one for me. All right, so we're going to do this. We're going to start with Matthew 6.25. These are some of the most um, familiar scriptures about worry. Worry is really fear. Worry is not knowing the future. This is saying, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how this can be uh, changed. or how. Sometimes we feel worry because we really don't know what to do, and we're really not equipped to do what needs to be done. But this is what Jesus said, and, and I want you to picture this, because in Matthew 6, we're getting in on part of the beautiful Sermon on the Mount. And so where was Jesus when he gave the sermon? On the Okay, he was on a mountain, all right? And so it says he took his disciples up. There was a great crowd down here. And so he went up on a mountain, sat down on a rock. And apparently, you, if you go to Israel, anybody been there? Not me. I would love to go sometime. You can go to the Sermon on the Mount. We know where it is. And apparently, there's this one outcropping of rock that they believe Jesus sat and and preached to the people this beautiful sermon. Sometimes it's called the Beatitudes, right? And this is part of that beautiful Sermon on the Mount. And he says to them, he says, Therefore I tell you, all right, let's go to 625, right? 
Okay, I'm going to read it in a slightly different version, but this is the, the basic. Therefore, I tell you, stop being perpetually uneasy, anxious, and worried. Okay, does that describe any of us in here? Perpetually uneasy, anxious, and worried about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life greater in quality than food, and the body far above and more excellent than clothing? So Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying this. Apparently, Jesus knew we'd worry about these things. And it's more than just the food that we eat. I really believe this is just what kind of quality of life are you wanting to enjoy? Is it full of worry, perpetual uneasiness, anxiety, and worry? Or uh, worrying about things that, are like, uh, that need provision, food and clothing? Or are we saying this? Therefore, I say to myself, worry about my life, what I will eat and what I will drink and about my body, what I will wear and put on. Life is all about food and clothing, and unless I worry, nothing will happen. <laughs> That's saying, I've got this, instead of saying, God, you've got this, isn't it? And so Jesus is saying, stop worrying, don't worry. Has your worrying given you your ideal weight yet? No. Has it... Um, has it lessened the onset of wrinkles no has it given you optimum health worry absolutely not jesus knew before the clinicians and the psychologists and the psychiatrists knew that worry is a very negative thing it has a negative impact on our lives and so he said don't do it <laughs> don't participate right all right so he says stop worrying it has never helped you it's always a negative and so god knows that we need these things there are certain needs in our life but we don't need to fret or stress about it we need to return to him as our source of supply source of supply so we have to understand this, this is kind of a hard saying that <clears throat> a worried stressed out believer is a defeated believer in that area we're needing some victory, ladies, if we're in constant state of worry and anxiety and thirst. Good grief. Sorry. So Jesus continues in Matthew 6, 26. Now picture this. He's sitting on a mountainside. He's preaching to a large group of people that are gathered around. And some birds fly overhead. And so he says, hey, look at the birds. There they are. Watch the birds. He says, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth much more than they? That is a good question. Okay, ladies, are you worth a lot more than a bunch of birds? Yes, we are. Birds don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store food, and yet you seldom see a bird die of starvation unless he's been captured and neglected most of the time, you don't see birds die from starvation. But are we not worth much more than birds? Yes, we are. So who cages and traps birds? He's called a fowler, all right? Does that ring a bell to anybody, the word fowler? We hear about the word fowler in Psalm 91. That's right. So let's go there. So in Psalm 91, we... we uh, commonly call this the safety psalm. 
Last year, during this workshop time, we decided to stay together. We did a five-week study on Psalm 91. It was awesome. There's so much truth. If you have a lot of fears, anxieties, and worries, you need to meditate on these scriptures. And we'll just begin um, in Psalm 91. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest. Ooh, rest. There's our rest in the shadow of the Almighty. How close you have to be to someone if you're in their shadow? Ooh, he's right there. And you know what? You don't have to find his shadow because he said he'd never leave you. You just need to stay in it, okay? He's always right there. I will say of the Lord, and that is so important, check out what you're saying. Watch your mouth like we tell our kids, right? Listen to what you're saying. It's so important. So if you don't know what to say about your problem, don't say, this is never going to change. This always happens to me. God, why aren't you stopping this for me? Well, you might need to pick up your own sword for one thing. But instead of saying those things that are full of fear and doubt, this is what I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Not just some God out there. He's my God. Oh, that's so personal. He's my God. He's your God. And he says, I, surely, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. You know, a fowler, if he's good at what he does, sets a trap. And I actually had this picture during worship this morning that as we worshiped, just the same as happened in the Old Testament where the armies were marching against, you know, Jehoshaphat and the, and the whole city, they humbled themselves before the Lord and said, God, help us. What are we to do? And the word of the Lord came forth, and, and it was this. It says, the battle is the Lord's. Stand still and see how God is going to handle this. And he instructed them that when they marched into, quote, unquote, battle, they put the worshipers first. And so as the worshipers worshiped and marched into what seemed to be a battle, um, the Bible says is that, that the ambushments that were set by the enemy were, were tripped, I guess you'd say. So in other words, all the weapons and all the evil plans of the enemy were completely eradicated, completely erased, and God caused a victory that day as they worshiped. And I believe there were victories going on today. I just sensed that, um, that as we worshiped, it was like we were marching forth and that God was springing traps left and right so that we wouldn't fall into them. And a fowler would set those traps so when you walked into him, you would be snared. And this scripture says, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Perilous pestilence. Ladies, that's any kind of flu. That's any kind of disease. Any kind of physical illness that could come on you. He says, you are delivered from that. And he will cover you with his feathers. We're still talking like in bird language here, right? The picture is still birds. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness shall be your shield and rampart because God protects you. The battle is the Lord's and God will fight for you and he will protect you. You will not fear 
fear the terror of night. I was scared of the dark. Isn't that something for an adult to say? In the nighttime, things happen. Weird things happen. And I became very afraid of the dark. And I didn't even know that as an adult that was something that, uh, that I was dealing with until I got delivered from a spirit of fear. And it says that... He will, where am I? Uh, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or the plague that destroys at midday. midday. Guess what? We have around-the-clock protection. There's not one minute of any day that God is not there fighting our battles for us. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And you need to proclaim that over your home, over your body, over your children, over your marriage. Devil, you can't have them. You are not allowed here. We have a bloodline that you cannot. He does not have the ability to cross because it is the blood of Jesus that surrounds us and protects us. So he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and I love this. Are we here? Okay. I'm going to change this just a little bit. This is what God says. These are words he's speaking over you today, ladies. He says, just close your eyes and let, receive this. Jesus says, because she loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue her. I will protect her, for she knows my name. She will call upon me, and I will answer her, and I will be with her in trouble. I will deliver her. And honor her. Will you receive those words over your life today? He says, surely. He didn't say maybe. He didn't say, if you're good enough, I'll do this for you. He says, surely, surely, surely. And no longer do we have to fear the future. Because sometimes we think, I don't know what tomorrow brings. Today wasn't so great. Yesterday was even worse. So now I'm afraid to look forward to the future. But see, the devil knows that in the very area you are worried, stressed, and anxious, and in fear, God's grace cannot flow. So he works overtime to keep us in the what-if realm. I don't know. And sometimes we think, well, if I don't understand it, then how can I defeat it? But you know what? God's grace does not depend on our understanding. It's just the receiving of it, isn't it? And continuing to read in Matthew 6, and I don't think we have this, Daniel, so don't panic. <laughs> I'm just going to read it to you. And here's Jesus again asking another question. And who of you, by worrying and being anxious, can add one cubit of measurement to your stature or to the span of your life? Yeah. Are we, are we getting healthier? Is it a good thing? We know it is a negative thing. And why should you be anxious about clothes? Jesus is looking around again. And it's apparently true that on this same mountain where they believe Jesus gave this sermon every spring, the whole mountainside uh, springs up with lilies. It's just covered with lilies. So I think Jesus was sitting there, and he, he saw the birds of the air, and he used them as an illustration, and then he sees the lilies of the fields, and he says this. He says, Consider the lilies of the field and learn thoroughly how they grow. They don't work. They don't spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his magnificence and excellence was not arrayed like one of these. So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and green and tomorrow is tossed into the furnace, will he not much more surely clothe you? 
And I said, oh, you of little faith. We don't want to be, oh, oh, me of little faith, do we? So, okay, again, Jesus is asking a question, so let's answer it. Are we more important and valued and treasure in Jesus' eyes than grass? Yes. So why do we fear that he will not provide? He says he will. He says, therefore, do not worry. Don't be anxious saying, what are we going to have to eat? What are we going to have to drink? Or what are we going to have to wear? For even the Gentiles wish for and crave and seek these things. And your heavenly father knows well that you need them all. And here is where this verse fits in. This is out of context. You know this verse well. But now let's talk about it in its context. What was Jesus coming to, uh, the truth that he wants us to get from this? He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we worry about, whether we're going to have or not have, will be added to you. And I love the way the Amplified says that. It says, so seek first, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness. You know what? Righteousness is really the key here. Righteousness is right standing with God. Righteousness cannot be earned. It is a gift of righteousness that has to be received by faith. It's God's choice to position us in right standing just as if you've never sinned. And we know we have. <laughs> and we know we don't deserve it. We know that we cannot live up to the perfection that the law required. So God sent Jesus to do it for us. And then he took it to the cross. He became sin for us so that you could be made, get this, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Without Christ, there's no righteousness in us. There's no goodness in us. But our righteousness is Jesus' obedience, and it was God's choice to call you righteous. And he doesn't just call you righteous, he made you righteous. So it doesn't mean that we don't fail, we still will. It doesn't mean that you can't sin, because sometimes we do. But it doesn't change your right standing with God. And that blows my mind, because we don't deserve it. And our flesh says, no, I need to do something. I need to be better. I need to be holy. I need to live this way. I didn't read my Bible enough. I didn't pray enough. And all those things are good, but they don't earn your righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, and God is giving us a priority and order and a way for all these things that we worry about that we feel like that we may never get or we feel like they're in a place of lack. He says, if you will seek me first and my righteousness that has been gifted to you, says then all these things fall into place. That's the opposite of what we think. We usually think we have, we have no peace and no order in our lives until we manipulate and handle and take care of everything out here. He says, take care of this first. Make me first. Make me first. Seek me first. Know that you're righteous because I call you righteous. Right standing. And I like, I like righteousness this way. I like to describe it this way. Righteousness means right standing. Right standing gives you the right to stand on every promise of God. Right standing because of what Jesus has done for us. His righteousness has become my righteousness. It's not because I'm so good. It's because he's so good. It's not because I do it all right. I don't. But Jesus did, and he did it in our place. And so now I have right standing with God by faith, and that gives me the right to stand on every promise 
of God. We'll never be good enough, but Jesus did it for us. And what a gift, what a gift, what a gift. So, what a great price he paid. So the degree to which we worry about provision today is directly related to how much we believe we are loved and valued by our Heavenly Father. He loves to provide for us. He values us to the place where when he counted the cost, he said, you are worth the life of my only son. If you decided to spend a lot of money on, say, a special dress, to me, a lot of money would be $200. I don't know if I've ever done that. So, but it's something really special, and you think, okay, I value that dress enough that I'm going to release $200 to that thing. Not that I would do that every day, but today I decided that that's worth 200 of my dollars. Well, Jesus looked at you, and he says, I am releasing the life of my son because that's the value that I place on you. And he did it because he loves us. Will he not feed us, provide for us in every area of our lives? Do we need to worry? Is that your job, ladies? No, it is not your job to worry. Do I want a legacy of worry and, and anxiety to hand down to my children? Is that what I want written on my tombstone? She worried all her life. And now I lay in the grave. No, that's not what we want our legacy to be. We are loved and valued, and therefore we can receive that righteousness and let go of our cares to the one who loves us beautifully and perfectly. And I want to just close in this one scripture. It says, I love this. This was something that I, I said um, this week. Lord, wash my mind with this one because it really blessed me. It's found in Psalm 55, 22. Cast your cares on the Lord. And he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. You have to know you're righteous before you can hang on to that one, right? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I will never, never, never let the righteous fall. Cast your burden on the Lord. And this is it. I always do more than one version. Releasing the weight of it, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved, slip, fall, or fail. All right. You know what? I'm going to very quickly run through five things that you can do when God alerts you that you're afraid, and especially afraid of the future. And I'm going to give credit where credit is due because this really blessed me this week. Um, Chris Valentin is an uh, amazing teacher out of Bethel Church in California there. And um, he had this in his blog this week, and I thought it was really, really relevant. You might want to take some notes. This is an awesome quote, too. He said, fear is a fantastic script writer. It can intrigue you with its storytelling ability and convince you to suffer for things that will never happen. Isn't that true? We worry about things that never even happen. So let me say that again. Fear is a fantastic script writer. It can intrigue you with its storytelling ability and convince you to suffer for things that never will happen. And he says, there are five things I do when I'm afraid. He says, I remind myself of things that I was afraid of in the past but never happened. I make a list, and I remind myself of how true they felt, but 
it helps me remember that fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. It comes from a spirit of fear. The devil's a liar. He can't tell you the truth if he tries. And so everything that he says is a lie. Fear is a liar. Number two, he said, I question reality in light of the previous lies and a new perspective emerges. I think that means you take the time and say, okay, God, this is what it looks like to me. This is what it feels like to me. I'm not pretending like I'm not afraid. Father, give me your perspective. Give me your perspective. What does that look like to you? So one's a lie, and now we're asking for the truth. Number three, he says, I make a conscious choice. Here's the let not, let go, and let God part. I make a conscious choice to trust my future to Jesus and remind myself of his love for me. That seems so simple, but you know what? It's perfect love that casts out fear. There is a fear-love connection here, and he's drawing on that. He's drawing on that. It says, number four, I bring up my history with God. I recall the testimonies in my life as a way of retelling the scary story and telling it with the truth. And I call that self-talk. Encouraging yourself with the truth. Get your mind uh, directed toward what is true instead of what is not. Number five, I bring up what God says about my future. I bring to mind the prophetic words over my life. And remember, I have a bright future. And he says, I determine not to think about tomorrow because I have grace only for today. I think that's good too.